house. No, the right no, house. I did it, get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. Senator Kennedy, welcome to the Ambassador Hotel. Thank you very much. Buses are loading, gentlemen. Bobby Kennedy needs to get elected. I thought you guys were doing volunteer work. Not when you volunteer the work for the Kennedys. It's a full-time crusade. I'm getting complaints that you're not allowing the kitchen staff to vote today. They're not gonna vote. Half of them are illegal. They can't vote. Every day you keep putting the brown man down, Edward. That's right. Let's keep the brown man down. Let's send the brown man back across the border. We didn't cross the border. The border crossed us. <laughs> you're on stage in Night Sharp. Then you're introducing Senator Kennedy in the embassy ballroom. So sad. That woman. I used to be such a fan. I'm not sure about this. If marrying you tonight keeps you from going to Vietnam, then it's worth it. What if Kennedy loses? We can all forget it, man. I'm 19, Jimmy. I don't want to go to Vietnam. Do you? Now that Dr. King is gone, no one left but Bobby. No one. The next president of the United States, Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that threw the first brick through the window of Joseph Pulitzer's office during the Newsboys strike of 1899. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we are here to perform the autopsy for the 50th time. I am your host, Joe Reed, and... I am here, as always, with my co-host, Chris File. Hello, Chris. It feels like I've said that to you 50 times 25 now. times. 25 times times two. Um, hi. It's our 50th episode. It's our 50th episode. Dude. Or at least our 50th film, so our 50th official episode. That's true. How we've, exciting. Right. We've had some bonuses along the way. But, yeah, so all of you who took bets that we wouldn't make it to 50, I don't know why you would do that. We're just very nice people. Um, screw it. We We're here. It. Yeah, we did it. Good times and bum times. Yeah. What? Are, so, as a, as a 50th sort of milestone feels like a time of reflection, what do we feel like we've learned through 50 of these episodes? Um, I think for me, probably, like, it's served if, like, if we're talking Oscar predictions, I tend to be the cynical type of person where in, like, long-term predicting, I'm like, yeah, but, like, this is the same narrative as movies X, Y, and Z that failed. And, like, why would this be successful on that same narrative? And... Doing this podcast has told me that history is very much a flat circle and destined to repeat itself. <laughs> yeah. So, like, any type of thing that you can write a movie off on, even especially very early, like, a, a lot of the narratives that, like, are the foundations of Oscar campaigns are repeated. And it yeah. doesn't matter how often it succeeds and doesn't. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of randomness that you sort of notice in the process of it. There's a lot of, you know, if X or Y thing had broken a certain way, if a butterfly had flapped its wings differently on the set of, you know, I don't know, 
Courage Under Fire, then, you know, the 1996 yeah. Oscars would have gone uh, another way, which I love. Like, I love that kind of speculative wondering. We, we've, we've gotten into a couple times on here, and we should get into it maybe more often. The, if X had won this year, then would Y have won another year? Which mm-hmm. I love. I love that you know speculating out ripple effect out into the into the Oscar world. But in terms sometimes of- too, it's like the larger movie culture as well. Like our episode on our two thousand three miniseries that we did for um, in the cut. Like if maybe people hadn't been so sexist when they were approaching that movie, right. like it could have had a better response. Yeah, I think that's You know, true. sometimes it's a larger cultural issue, not yeah. just an Oscar issue. But I also think I've learned that just there's more of an audience for this kind of thing than I realized. I, you know, I always assume that my interest in this kind of stuff is like crazy niche, and it is still, but like I'm very sort of grateful that there are other people out there who, when we're like, we're going to do our episode on the human stain, and people are like, yes! And I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, but also, thank you. But also, what the fuck? So, yeah. 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 I'm grateful. Hopefully I'm grateful some of that is this. they appreciate what we do here, and they are ready for us to either drag or just unpack Truly. what some of these movies are doing. Truly. We just announced yesterday that we're doing Stonewall, and never have we had so many responses of people being like, yes, drag her! <laughs> I feel like that that movie is definitely a special case. So this week, however, we are going to be... We want, decided to celebrate our 50th episode, our 50th movie, with a listener's choice. I The last time we did a... Uh, an episode on something that the listeners picked. I kept saying reader's choice in the episode, which is fully my history of, of writing for publications coming to bear where it's just like, I'm not still not used to the idea that the people who are consuming my stuff, (laughs) the things that you do in this case. Yes. So listeners choice for the 50th episode, we gave them a selection of what I considered to be, the real five, four movies, which would have been like really down the middle, meat and potatoes, like the red meat of what we're talking about. We included Bobby because we heard about like every time we would suggest or like hint like what to do you want to hear movie or like <laughs> every time you did a uh, one of those those quiz those polls about like what yeah you think where our i next try to movie trick is. people and everybody would be like bobby are you doing bobby and it's just like it's it, it's it surprised us how much there how much enthusiasm there was for it so we put that into the poll knowing full well that it was very popular among y'all we also included the legend of bagger vance the will smith magical golf caddy movie that which... we will eventually have to do oh, and we're gonna i eventually will be do miserable all of these movies like it's 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 yeah. too perfect of an uh, of a example of faded Oscar buzz to not do it. So it was that the shipping news, which ditto, but also all those fucking crazy names and all that Newfoundlander stuff. And I think like the shipping news is a quintessential one for us, like a quintessential movie that like I was so surprised to see it not do well in the voting. But I think Bobby just kind of ran I away with Bobby it. Bobby steamrolled, and then the other one we put up there was. Reservation Road, which is less remembered just in general, but it was 
the very first entry that I ever made on the Tumblr for this had Oscar buzz. That was the one that inspired me to actually be like, hey, remember this movie? Of course you don't, but it, at one time was the front runner for Year Ahead Oscar buzz, which is crazy to me. And I think what is essential about what we do on this podcast is like anybody who answers the question, do you remember Reservation Road? If they answer it, yes, they only remember it through the context of Oscar. Right, right. That's the thing. That's the thing. So, but as we said, Bobby won kind of in a runaway because you guys love... I Okay, I'm wondering, I'm curious as to how much of the enthusiasm for us doing Bobby is us doing a movie with Lindsay Lohan in it. Because I got a lot of, more than a few people being like oh, you're going to do Bobby, please be nice to Lindsay. Or like, oh, I'm so glad you guys get to talk about Lindsay Lohan. And like, she's such a small part of this movie, as is kind of everybody. This is this... Yeah, quite literally everyone. Insanely sprawling cast, but even among that, like there are people who show up more often than others. I think you see William H. Macy a little more often. You see Anthony Hopkins a little more often, right? And you see like Demi Moore a little more often. Christian Slater. Right. But like, Lindsay Lohan shows up in maybe three scenes. And mm-hmm. she's her storyline. Well, let's get the boilerplate out of the way. But like her storyline is she's marrying Elijah Wood so that he doesn't have to go to war. The movie we're talking about is Bobby, the 2006 movie Bobby, directed and written by, of course, Emilio Estevez. Because who is going to do a movie about Bobby Kennedy? Oh, it's not really about Bobby Kennedy, but we'll get into that. Then Emilio Estevez, the man who we all remember so fondly from The Mighty Ducks and that opening scene in Mission Impossible movie stars Anthony Hopkins, William H. Macy, Sharon Stone, Demi Moore, Deep Breath, Shia LaBeouf, Ashton Kutcher, Lindsay Lohan, Elijah Wood, Joshua Jackson, Martin Sheen, Helen Hunt, Another Deep Breath, Nick Cannon, Lawrence Fishburne, Christian Slater, Harry Belafonte, and somehow even more people than this. It is a cast of dozens. And particularly, and we'll talk about this maybe a little bit, but maybe we can just talk about it now. It's one of those big sprawling casts, but it's a big sprawling cast full of people who I who I sort of when I was making my notes, I was like everybody is in the two strikes club in this cast where it's just <laughs> yeah. like this is either their like last chance to be in a big sort of mainstream buzzy movie or like they had already sort of like fallen into obscurity a little bit. I think you get that with Demi Moore. I think you get a lot of people who were like had tumultuous or turbulent behind the scenes issues like Shia LaBeouf and Lindsay Lohan and I'm trying to look I think you also have a certain degree of especially some of the famous faces that you didn't name but like you might not be as familiar with now names like Ashton Kutcher that are like oh somebody's offering me a chance to be in something with some prestige and not like another teen movie or another like dumb comedy of course they're gonna I think you get that with Ashton with Nick Cannon with Joshua Jackson um and then you get like oh we're like we know we know the historical import of this so we're gonna cast Harry Belafonte but like it's a lot of Christian Slater Sharon Stone do you remember when Christian Slater and Sharon Stone both won um, Most Desirable Male and Female at the MTV Movie Awards back in, like, 90, I want to say, 3. Whenever it was that, like, I think I she... I definitely w- remember her speech, her You Desire You me Desire speech. Me? You Really Desire Me? Yes. And he had won for, I'm pretty sure, Untamed Heart, that movie where he needed the heart He has a monkey heart. And him 
and um, Marissa Tomei, I want to say, are like... Yes, and Rosie Perez. And Rosie Perez, yes, thank you. God, Untamed Heart. And then... But Marissa Tomei is the love interest. Yes, Marissa Tomei is the love interest. Rosie Perez is someone's friend. Her friend, maybe, let's say. Sure. Um, now I want to look up this MTV Movie Awards because I'm pretty sure she won for Sliver, which is problematic when you think of the point of Sliver is that she's being, like, voyeured upon. Are we sure it wasn't Basic Instinct? I think she might have won for two years in a row, but hold on a second. Let me look. The MTV movie and television and also maybe some YouTube stuff, whatever they call it now, awards. Yeah. Yeah. No thanks. All right. So 1993 MTV Movie Awards, hosted by Eddie Murphy. Most desirable male. All right. She did win for Basic Instinct. You're right. Um, Beating out Kim Basinger for Cool World. Which, do you remember that one where she fucking was, like, wild. animated? So she's a fucking cartoon. I remember cartoon. Cool World because, like, I would have been, like, I don't know, eight or seven years old. And I convinced, like, my parents to take the whole family to see that movie. Yeah. That they didn't know what it was. And it was, like, here's a movie where the plot is a man is trapped in an animated world and an animated woman wants to become real. So he has sex with her to do so. Yes, Yes. Fun for the whole family. Brad Pitt's also in that movie. Um, I was fascinated by that movie because, like, sexy R-rated cartoons? Like, weird. But essentially what MTV is telling you in this is that you want to fuck that cartoon. So so, (laughs) um, Halle Berry for Boomerang, Madonna for Body of Evidence, which we all remember the sex thriller Body of Evidence, and Michelle Pfeiffer for Batman Returns, which, respect, yes. That's how you know there were some gay guys in that yeah. voting pool. <laughs> they were just like, yes, Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, still a performance people love to this day. Most desirable male Christian Slater won for Untamed Heart over... Okay, and here's where like the double standard sexism thing comes in, where it's like over Kevin Costner in The Bodyguard, and Tom Cruise in A Few Ew. Good Men, and Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon 3. So it's literally just like... Cops and lawyers and bodyguards, dads. just like people, just like protect Gross me, dads. protect me, cut, like let me come to you for for comfort and safety. And then Jean Claude Van Damme for nowhere to run, which is like at least a supportable cheesecakey kind of a thing. But I'm glad that Christian Slater won because that was really like his moment, right? Yeah, um, that was Peacock Christian Slater. Did he really get a baboon's heart in that movie? I'm pretty sure it is some type of monkey heart doesn't he like go crazy and have these like freak outs where he starts like acting like an orangutan or something yeah but i think the thing in the movie was all right here all right i'm reading from the wikipedia description adam which is his character claiming that he has a baboon's heart lovingly told to him by a nun in an orphanage where he grew up um blah 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 so i think it's that he was told he's gaslit into thinking he has a monkey heart so he behaves like a monkey I don't think that's really the plot. I think it's like a cute little like aside. I think it's mostly that he has a heart that is failing and he needs a heart transplant. And like, but I don't think he actually thinks he has a baboon's heart. I, I wonder know. if it was the same nun that Katy Perry killed. Wait, what? <laughs> Look it up. We don't have time for this. Oh my God. Um, we, we seriously have run a field. Okay. So, um, Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to be doing this a lot later. Okay, so wait, here's the wait, thing about into, Bobby. Wait, before we get Bobby into Bobby, has... though. Before we get into Bobby. Because I want to back up to our 50th episode for a second. Because I skipped okay. the thing. Um, to commemorate our 50th episode, I made us a quiz. And so I don't want to get too far into Bobby before 
we play a fun little game that I've devised. And okay. what I've devised is for you to play, so I need your uh, your go-ahead that you want to play. Uh, I, I will happily take a pop quiz today. All right, so similar to I had made the quiz a few weeks ago when we did the rendition episode about other movies in the war on terror genre, the post-9-11 war on terror genre, and I asked you to guess them by guessing from the keywords on their IMDb plot keywords. So instead, I have taken selections from the 49 other movies that we have covered on this head Oscar buzz. And I have taken out both plot keywords and also taglines. So you'll get a choice whether you want to do the keywords or the tagline for a certain movie. And if Ooh. one isn't working, you can like go to the other or whatever. If there was a true point system, I would be going for those points. Wait, what points? <laughs> like if you got more points for a tagline. Or oh, more points I, see, for, I, see, I see, I see, I see. Yes, 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 yes Well, yes. yes, there is no point system. It's only for my respect and love. So... I'm fully expecting to get a perfect score. Lay it on me. All right. So we are going to start. I've got a bunch of them. We'll stop when I when I feel like you've had enough. Um, all right. So do you want, for this first one, the tagline or the keywords? Give me the keywords. All right. Keywords are Hollywood, California. Oh, just like in the last one, you can jump in and answer at any point. And if you answer sooner than I get to the end, then it's... More pretend points, let's say. Okay, Hollywood, California, anywhere but here. You fucker. All right, don't count, don't guess too early. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood, California, family relationships, coming of age, cousin-cousin relationship, ice uh, cream, audition, middle-aged woman on the road. Yes, that is anywhere but here. The tagline to anywhere but here is a story of a mother who knows best and a daughter who knows better. Oh. All right, next one doesn't have a tagline, so you're getting the keywords. Okay. I want you to be careful before guessing too soon. Jellyfish okay. bite. <laughs> okay. Guess. You can guess now if you want. Oh, I can guess now? Yeah. Obviously seven pounds. Uh, no, because the next one is voiceover narration. And it's not seven pounds? Brother-brother relationship. Male nudity. British accent. Murder of a police officer, pickup truck, orgasm, and maid. Oh, man. What other movie did we have with Jellyfish? All of our early episodes had weird animal shit. Pickup truck, maid, brothers, but it is not the movie brothers because there is no jellyfish in that movie. Right. Huh. It has no tagline. No. I even looked on the poster. The poster doesn't have a tagline. Oh, is it the door in the floor? No. Mm. Put voiceover narration and maid together. Put brother-brother relationship and... um... Oh, it's duh, of course, of course. How could I forget? It is the paper boy. It's the paper boy. It's the paper boy. Yes, indeed. If anyone's gonna piss on him, it's gonna be me. But that's why I they made... say he carried his intestines half a mile. <laughs> but I knew that but I would have at least two with jellyfish in the keywords, which is pretty good. I so. fully for... How could I forget about if anybody's going to pee on him, it's going to be me? I don't know. But you've thrown me for a loop. All right, next one. Tagline or keywords? Uh, give me the tagline this All time. All right, this one is some love lasts a lifetime. Real love lasts forever. This is a very vague tagline. 
Uh, okay, so it's one of our love stories. Real love lasts forever. Is this an app? Oh, it's uh, to Jillian on her 37th birthday. Correct, yes. Keywords were teen angst, grief, obsessive love, death of wife, beach house, based on play, character name, and title. Yep. All right. Next one, tagline or keywords? Tagline again. Tagline. All right. I'm going to have to redact part of it because it says a name. All right. This tagline is going to give it to you really quickly. Get ready to rock. Get ready to love. Get ready for blank. Ricky in the Flash. Yes. Ricky in the Flash. Literally says get ready on the poster. Keywords. Like big letters. Keywords include reference to George W. Bush and dysfunctional family. All right. Next one. Tagline or keywords? Uh, let's do the tagline again. All right. They had everything. She showed them more. Oh. Hmm. So it's a lady coming into a story that is... Hmm. Lady... She showed them more. So it's like, who is who is a lady that is introduced into... A story of people who have everything. It is the family stone? Nope. All right. Keywords. Female protagonist. Narrow-mindedness. Art history. Ah, Mona Lisa Smile. Our first episode. Our first episode. Indeed. Yes. Well done. Next one. Tagline or keywords? Uh, Keywords. keywords. (laughs) Widower. Jamaican. Corporate mogul, birthday uh, it's, party, uh, it's a, b- 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 traffic b- 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 accident, Micho Black, Micho yes, Black, Micho Black, Tra- traffic accident, <laughs> looking at oneself in mirror, power struggle, peanut butter. Tagline peanut, is peanut, peanut, peanut. <laughs> tagline we have is, that in that episode. Tagline is he's expecting you. <laughs> yes, that's right. why you chuckled when I didn't say tagline. Uh, next one, tagline or keywords. Uh, let's do the tagline. All right. Her greatest secret was her greatest. Yes, it is evening. evening. I'm pretty sure I even like mentioned the tagline within our episode when we talked about it. No, because was her greatest secret her gift? Yeah. What is her secret? (laughs) That, bury that. Yes, exactly. All right. I I loved those keywords because the last keyword I wrote down was night nurse. I was like, well, if he doesn't get it by night nurse, then he's not going to get it. All right. Next one. Tagline or keywords? Tagline. Tagline. Some loves can never let you go. This is a very, very vague and un- not helpful tagline. Uh, a love story. Is it Ask the Dust? No. All right. Keywords. Great Depression. Still not Ask the Dust. Marriage. Still not Ask the Dust. Eminent Domain. Murder Disguised as Hunting Accident. Baby uh, Serena. in Danger. Serena. <laughs> Baby in danger, talking to an eagle, and timber business. <laughs> so of course it is the family Serena. stone. <laughs> Serena, can you <laughs> just those assemblage of words? Uh-huh. The soup of that movie is even funnier than the movie itself. Oh, oh, the experience of describing Serena is so much more entertaining than watching Serena. Like that is yeah. <laughs> we fully we fully figured that out. All right, next one, tagline or keywords. Uh, let's do the tagline again and then do the keyword. All right, divorced with benefits. Oh. Uh is that divorce? Oh, that uh 
Uh, it's uh, uh, Crazy Stupid Love. No. Interesting. Oh. Keywords, crotch grab, love triangle, implied nudity. Uh, it's complicated. It's complicated. Yes. Middle-aged romance, mother-children relationship, croissant, house party, and webcam. Not kitchen. No, I figured kitchen would be too easy. Um, there are like hundreds of keywords on all of those things. I'm only pulling out the most interesting ones. All right, next one. Tagline or keywords? Tagline. Is it possible for one idea to change the world? Uh, is that the, um, what the heck? I can't even remember the name of the movie at this point. Um, <laughs> the, oh God, the fifth estate, the fifth estate. No, no, not the fifth estate. Keywords directed by a female, social injustice, mother-son relationship, knife wound, extra credit assignment, precocious child, social studies. Pay it forward. Pay it forward. Indeed. Yes. Well done. The greatest movie about social studies class that we have on this list. Next one. Tagline or keywords? Uh, let's start with the keywords this time. Okay. Husband-wife relationship. Seed. Civil War veteran. Uh, Summersby. Summersby. Character name and title and imposter. The tagline. <laughs> she knew his face. His touch. His voice. She knew everything about him, but the truth. God damn it, Summersby. We love you. Next one. Ta- tagline or keywords? Uh, uh, tagline. Tagline. Self-forgiveness is a painful path. Oh, Jesus. What a horrible um, tagline. I can't believe this movie didn't do well. horrible tagline. You lost me at self-forgiveness, whatever <laughs> you are, movie. Is it seven pounds? No, it's not seven pounds. Jesus, I could just... Oh, fine. Everything is seven pounds. Self-forgiveness. <laughs> Keywords. Nightmare. Bechdel test past. Drug use. Employer-employee relationship. Chronic pain. Sex with Shop a gardener. Girl? Nope. No. Sex with a gardener. Dead child. U.S.-Mexico border. Vodka bottle, facial scar. Oh, wow. This is a stumper. Facial scar. Facial scar. Facial scar should give it to you. Employer employee relationship. Chronic. Oh, oh, duh. It's cake. It's cake. It's cake. It's cake. Self forgiveness is a painful path. Cake. cake one of our very best episodes all right couple more neither one of these is seven pounds by the way i skipped over that one once we did jellyfish because i figured i couldn't do another jellyfish one because it would be too easy all right tagline or keywords tagline tagline all right this one you'll get warrior king lover alexander yes lover seeker conqueror savior alexander keywords for that were dysfunctional marriage female rear nudity Battle, bisexuality, one-eyed man, blood on camera lens, Greek, gay, and dictating memoirs. I feel like it should. One of them should be that gay shit. All right, one more. Yeah, one more, and then we will go back to Bobby. So tagline or keywords. Let's do the tagline again. All right. How far would you go to escape the past? Oh wow. Um. Mm escaping the past give me the keywords all right secret past abusive husband classics professor reference to linda trip oh it is the human stain human stain self-hate 
sanctimony, man dancing with a man. The humans dance. <laughs> well done. Well done with the game, Thank Chris. you. I would have expected to have done better on that, but thank you for challenging me. It's a lot, of, it's a lot of movies we've maybe forgotten that we've done. And quite a few movies that we didn't even mention that we did that are Oh, yeah. Episodes. That was only a handful. Hopefully... This encourages new listeners to yes. go back and listen to some of our oldie but goodies. Dive into those archives, people. Yeah, I couldn't do all 49 of them. We would have been here all day. But uh, a nice little selection, I thought. So now that we've done that, we're going to talk about Bobby. Written directed, as I said, by Emilio Estevez. Starring all of those people I mentioned before. This premiered September 14th, 2006 at the Toronto International Film Festival. Actually, I think it premiered at Venice slightly before that, but it played the Toronto Film Festival. Um premiered limited opened limited november 17th 2006 and then opened wide the week after that november 14th 2006 just in time for thanksgiving dinner where you could all say hey everybody want to go see that new elijah wood christian slater movie let's do so chris yes you get the unenviable task this week i was glad i didn't have to do it uh, doing a giant ensemble for a 60, 60 second, second plot description, description of bobby one minute to cover all those characters and all those events and all those happenings are you ready yes your minute begins now okay from the legendary house of estevez bobby is about the uh democratic primary campaign of robert f kennedy and the day that he was assassinated at the ambassador hotel the movie essentially takes place as like a sprawling portrait of all of the people who were there when he was shot um some of them might be employees of the hotel um like christian slater's racist like kitchen manager um uh, sharon stone and B- william h macy are a married couple she runs the salon in the seconds. hotel and he's the hotel manager he is cheating on her with one of the phone operators that's played by heather graham uh Lindsay lohan is there she is marrying a high school friend who like they aren't even lovers um played by elijah wood who he's they're trying to prevent him from going to Vietnam. There's also Shia LaBeouf and Brian Garrity who are like trying to play in the campaign, but really they're just there to get high from Ashton Kutcher. Um, Demi Moore is a lounge singer. She's drunk. She's married to Estevez. Um, And yeah, eventually the movie just ends with him getting shot. All right. That's it. 60 seconds. There's really not like, well, it doesn't just end. It kind of does. It specifically ends with, I'm sure it is his final speech before he was shot, but it's like 15 minutes long, this long, dramatic, drawn-out sequence of the shooting and the fallout from it that day. Yes. So, set to this speech, and it's literally 10 to 15 minutes long. There are two movies that I feel like Bobby really wants to be, or maybe one movie and one style of movie, but I feel like we could probably say two movies. I feel like Emilio Estevez really, really wanted to make Nashville, but with the Bobby Kennedy assassination as its sort of, Mm -hmm. like, thing that's going on. And, like, my thing watching this movie was, like, you can cast as many actors as you want and have as many sort of characters living their lives and sort of, you know, doing their things on the periphery of this central thing as you want to, that like relates to the culture that it's portraying right. as well or the time period but you can't just well. make an altman movie you can't just yeah. do that yeah. and the second thing is and i think it's it really comes to play in the end i think the end 
I think you can tell he really watched JFK a bunch. And this idea that, like, you know, that in that movie, Oliver Stone got a lot of mileage out of using the words that John F. Kennedy spoke at various speeches to sort of counterplay this awful assassination business that was happening around him. And I think Estevez sort of borrows from that a little bit. I don't see, I mean, maybe this is that I haven't seen any other Emilio Estevez directed movies, although he has directed at least one other one, right? He directed some... two. I know there's the way that also has his dad, Martin Sheen in it. And then there's also that movie that was this year, last year's TIFF, um, the public. <gasps> right. That the was public. Supposed to be yes. Bad. Nobody saw um, that one. I definitely get what you're saying, especially the Nashville thing. I think JFK, maybe maybe some of it. I think the movie is a little bit too, like you can definitely feel the Harvey Weinstein hand of the, playing how this movie is paced and edited, um, like Harvey Scissorhands, whatever you want to call him. Sure, sure, sure. Um, in terms of how like he managed the actual content of his movies, because this was a Weinstein co-movie. Um, uh, I I think Nashville is more of kind of the influence, but like you're saying, you oh, can't just like yes. make a Robert Altman movie. Yeah. Like it's an Altman movie is more than just a lot of characters. Right. Um, like there's a certain depth to what Robert Altman is doing, a certain casualness that Bobby never approaches either of those. I think there's another movie, at least in like that's partly why I brought up how Harvey Weinstein would re-edit his movies. I think there's another movie that if it did not directly influence what Emilio Estevez was trying to do in making the movie, I think it did influence how this movie was sold and positioned. And I think that movie is Crash. Oh, that's because actually Because this a is really the year point. after the Oscar win for Crash. Because this movie kind of reaches for like some type of vague political stance that it is not right there's an upstairs downstairs kind of a thing with like all of the people working at the hotel versus the people staying at the hotel and right and it's pursuing this kind of like you know uncomplicated virtuousness of like everybody should just work together for good things because otherwise the bad things that we allow to happen make for more bad things i truly don't know what this movie's trying to say but i kept thinking about crash while watching this. I think it's a much better movie than Crash, but that's not saying much. Yeah, I hadn't thought of Crash, but now that you mention it, yes, that makes a lot of sense because you're right. I think it's it's thematically trying to go for a lot of that kind of heavy-handed, you know, 1968 timeliness. Right. If if we all could have just survived this moment together, maybe things would have been better, yada, yada. Yeah, I think that's true. I think one of the problems in both the crash comparison and the nashville comparison is that none of the component parts of this story are all that terribly interesting and i don't want to just put it on the cast i do think the cast is i think you could get a good movie out of a cast of b-list or like formerly a-list sort of falling star kind of actors Mm -hmm. which a lot of these people are not everybody i think i mean you know, I think Martin Sheen was still on the West Wing at this point, so like he was still sort of prominent. William H Macy, um, 
was still forever showing up in these kind of movies right i think you know fishburn has always sort of like kept a very like you know steady keel career wise elijah wood's career was going really actually surprisingly well after the lord of the rings where if you expected him to completely like fall off a cliff after lord of the rings and he didn't really he was in eternal sunshine of the spotless mind's a really good effect i thought he was used very well in a movie like sin city and Mm -hmm. shows up in this but i feel like i don't know whether it was a matter of not getting to spend enough time with the right people but like there were very few scenes in this that i'm that i felt like oh i'm enjoying myself watching this i didn't care for any of the shia labeouf and is it brian garrity is that the guy who was in the hurt locker um both getting like dosed with lsd that's probably my least favorite story and then running around and just doing like really really basic oh my god we're high on acid kind of stuff i think naked shia labeouf yeah pretending to shit in a kitty litter box right and then like (laughs) it's very weird my notes set to no less like the worst like needle drop in the movie it is Quite literally a song pull from the musical Hair, which, like, I love Hair. It's one of my favorite musicals, but, like, there there were other the songs. The songs in this 60s, movie Mr. were Estevez. rough because you're right. They had a basically... It's, obvi- it's all very obvious. It's all very obvious. What does Demi sing at her little lounge? She, <laughs> she like, Demi Moore has to play a, lo- a lounge singer. Demi Moore is not a singer. So the moment that they give her that you actually have to hear her sing... Oh, right. They give her Louie Louie. <laughs> But like <laughs> sultry like lounge that. singer Louie Louie, it's so it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. They also do. A, it's a, like a next step up from her having her sing tequila. <laughs> oh my god! Like quite literally. Imagine. Does, yeah. Now I'm imagining Demi Moore in a lounge singing <laughs> a sultry swaying, tequila, and then while just like being like tequila (laughs) all the while paul rubens dances dreamily on a bar top instead of uh instead of doing the peewee herman dance he just sort of like swoons around yes yeah he's yeah all right um they also use hurdy-gurdy man in this movie to like zero effect and it was the next year that fincher would use it in zodiac and like scare the shit out of me where i like can't hear that song anymore without like chilling to my bones so it's yeah without looking a, over your shoulder it's a testament to how you can use music well in one movie and not well in the other but back to shia for like half a second though ashton kutcher plays the hippie who gives them the acid highly unconvincingly and it made me think like has ashton kutcher ever been convincing as any anyone anything like <laughs> I don't necessarily even not like Ashton Kutcher. I think he has value. I can't quite put my finger on what that value is at the moment. But he like, can't get past being Ashton Kutcher. At never, least, I think, never. As ever. an audience member, I feel that like he is always Ashton Kutcher. Yeah, which is a problem because this is very much Ashton Kutcher playing drug dealer. Jokes. He sticks out like a sore thumb. He is in no way period. He feels in no way 1968. 
And which I think a lot of these other ones, like for, you know, if nothing else, a lot of these other actors really do fit into the time period really well. I think Sharon Stone does actually a really good job of doing that. I think Macy does a really good job of that. I think, you know, I just don't think Ashton Kutcher has it in him to do that. I think there's just a lot of those actors who actually come off really well, and Ashton Kutcher's maybe the worst performance in this movie because he doesn't, but there's a lot of, like, his level and lower, like, to not be gross about it, like, level performers of, like, the type of things that they've been doing and, like, not... None of those movies are Bobby. Mm -hmm. Um, Right, yeah. But what were the were the, what were the subplots that interested here, you the most versus the least among? Here's all what I want to say about those subplots because you say that none of them are very interesting. I think it's more so that like a lot of these stories could make for an interesting movie if they were their own movie. Yeah, I think the story, the Lindsay Lohan story, where she is marrying someone who she doesn't love but to save him from war. I think that would make an interesting movie. Um, like these, even though they're it's maybe my least favorite storyline, the like campaigners who just screw off to go get high and then realize, oh fuck, we screwed up and we should have maybe been doing something for this campaign. I think that could make an interesting. I would have definitely movie. watched a movie about the Bobby Kennedy campaign. Like you don't have to. Bobby yes. doesn't have to be your main character. He can still be on the periphery, and you can still get a lot of mileage out of that. But just have it be about. You know, the Joshua Nick Cannon Jackson and, Cannon. and Josh Jackson. Yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, and then, and you can even still have multiple sort of like storylines that barely intersect because a lot of things are going on in a in a political campaign at once. But like, that's my major takeaway, and I don't think it is the same question as what of these storylines was the most interesting to watch. Because the least interesting to watch is the marital story between Helen Hunt Holy and Martin shit. Sheen, Thank you. which Thank is you. like borderline offensive some of it where it's like she just likes to to shop things it gets so much time it has like no interest except for like the thing at the end where it's like she gets shot so maybe she's not gonna want to shop anymore um it's it's uh, horrifying how how the most yes one of the most interesting to watch is one of the least interesting stories on the other hand for me. And I think it's partly because this performance that I really, really liked actually, and that's the Sharon Stone Demi Moore scene? story. And because I think, well, that scene is really great. I There's love a scene that scene. Where Sharon Stone is doing Demi Moore's hair. She's drunk off her ass. To me, is, um, yeah. Yeah, and Sharon Stone is, like, trying to, like, take care of her. And, like, you can tell she's been around the block with a bunch of drunk lounge singers before. Oh, and, it's like, doing so good. Hair. It's so good. It's really good. I could good. have watched it for an hour and a half. But, like, Sharon Stone is literally just a hairdresser right. who her husband cheats on her. And she actually really turns in this understated performance yeah. that I was super into. Yes. I love Sharon Stone. I do, too. I'm such a Sharon um, Stone supporter. I think she's... Such an she's the best performance actor. in this movie. I think she's capable of so much. And yeah, I think she's very good in this. It's interesting to watch her scenes opposite the Helen Hunt, Martin Sheen scenes, because I feel like in a different movie, their roles would be swapped. Yeah. Yeah. I could um, see that. I also, though, just don't think the Helen Hunt character is very interesting in this movie. Like, I, I mean, it's not like no. you're right. It's not like Sharon gets this like wealth of, of material to work with either. She's basically spinning straw into gold. Sure. But like, I, I think the Helen Hunt character truly, and I guess we're skipping ahead a little bit to the end. I think her character exists 
just to be one of the people who gets yeah. shot at the end of the movie. I think that's to right. like realize that there's more important things in life or like but that is also to appreciate the, case... the moments that you have. Yeah. That's also the case with the Elijah Wood character and with um Freddie Rodriguez's character who doesn't get shot, but he's there to be the person sort of cradling Bobby's head for that like famous yeah. photograph, right? So I think a lot of people are essentially chess pieces to be in the, you know, in the room where it happens, not to to coin a phrase, but I think Helen Hunt's character is the one where it seems most obvious by the end that like, oh, that's why we've been following the story that otherwise makes no kind of sense and has no kind like, I mean, there's a lot of these storylines that you're just like, why did we need to hear to see this story? Why did we need to follow this down on her luck lounge singer and her you know her accommodating husband played by Emilio Estevez by the way which I think it's fascinating that he casts his ex Demi Moore and her current husband Ashton Kutcher and then casts himself as her husband in the movie I think that's kind of funny but I just there's so many so many of these things feel so tangential that Anthony Hopkins character who's like <laughs> doorman on his last day and it's like okay but like that doesn't really ever play into the movie at all. It's like they need an old white guy there. But like they need an old white guy to do what? To have conversations with Harry Belafonte about like where America Chess. is at this like moment in time, I guess, of like old white man and an old black man just sort of like being friends with each other. I don't quite understand None of the pieces make sense to the whole of this movie, and I think that's partly because this movie doesn't have much of an objective. Yeah. Other than, like we mentioned, some of its influences, and, like, I think it just wanted to capture that moment, this very, like, this very significant political campaign and an assassination, but, like, I don't, I genuinely don't understand where this movie was coming from at the political time that it was released because obviously we've talked a lot about like war on terror movies and in a certain brand of prestige film like the bush administration looms large but like how is this really in relationship with what we were dealing with culturally other than anything but like a sense of despair right or a sense and it just of... seems kind of like cute or quaint compared to like where we are 15 years later. Yes. Like this movie does not age well. And yet I feel like a movie about Bobby Kennedy would be more pertinent now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I feel like I feel like you could absolutely you could make it make more of an impact now. And but I don't think Estevez was looking to sort of crossover with current events. I think he'd been trying to make this movie for a long time. And I think when he started out trying to make the movie, Bush might not have even been president. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, it feels very for a movie about a politician, about a political event feels very apolitical. I feel like it, it takes the easiest sort of broad observations about, you know, 1960s culture and the sort of culture clash that was happening. But like very driving Miss Daisy looks at race in America. Yeah, but it's such a it's such a drive by. It's such a I mean, I think the most intense you get is the scene in the kitchen with Lawrence Fishburne and the one of the younger cooks and they're essentially they're clashing over the idea of do you go along to get along or do you, you know, take a more confrontational stance. And 
Fishburne plays that scene really well, and it actually has a little bit of something interesting to say where Fishburne makes a really strong case for... It's one of the things that really made me think of current events, where he mentioned that, like, white people just want to, want, want to think that it was their idea. Like, just let them think that it was their idea to give you civil rights. And if the upshot is you get the civil rights, then what do you care whether they feel good about themselves? And I think that's one of the things that I'm like, oh, you sort of can think about that in relationship to today in terms of the you know, certain divides in the Democratic Party or mm-hmm. when you talk about, like, white working class people versus the rest of the Democrats and yada yada. And, like, obviously Estevez did not write that with that kind of knowledge, but I think that's sort of a... a it, was a it was a moment where the movie felt like it was saying something definitive and saying something concrete. And the problem is you never revisit those characters. Yeah. Later on in the movie, it's just sort of Or like, even those themes, really. Well, definitely. No, absolutely not. Like, the, the continuation of that story is they're trying to go to a Dodgers game. <laughs> right. The Dodgers, right. And you're, they're only trying to go to a Dodgers game because that day in history was uh, uh, Don Drysdale pitched his sixth consecutive uh, shutout or whatever. And it's only like, it's a footnote in the Bobby Kennedy story that on the same night he died, or the same night he was assassinated, um, this major sporting event happened. And it's just like, that's a long way to go for, to achieve a footnote in history. And all of these scenes are just feel like, feel like drive-bys in that way. And I don't feel like I get to spend enough time with any of the characters to really care about them. So I don't, I don't. And then it's like kind of still about punishing those characters because it's like Freddie Rodriguez is the one that gives his tickets to Lawrence Fishburne. So that he has to, like, stay working, and then he's the one holding Bobby Kennedy's, like, blown-out head. Yeah. Like, why would you do that to that character? So, stepping away from the movie itself, I think we've sort of gone over why we were dissatisfied with this movie. Why did Bobby have Oscar buzz to begin with? Because it definitely did. I think even, I think people viewed the Emilio Estevez thing with the correct degree of skepticism but i think people sort of were like oh but it's a weinstein thing so they can like you know bulldoze that through and i think the subject matter really had people intrigued yes absolutely i think it's plus i think i think in you see these type of trends things like where a best picture winner happens and then something that is even tangentially identifiable to something that about that best picture winner, you automatically get this assumption that, Oh, this is what the Academy likes right now. This is what they respond to. And I think the ensemble nature of this movie paired with like the, at least feigned social awareness that Bobby is going for made it feel like, Oh, well crash just won. I think that's why you had all those movies in the wake of gladiator and Lord of the Rings where people Mm -hmm. were like, yes, big, large scale, epic filmmaking is Oscar bait. And so, you know, we think kingdom of heaven is going to do it. We think Alexander is going to do it. We think, you know, any, any number of these movies with like, what was the one with Channing Tatum and Jamie bell at the, at the old Roman Empire. Do you remember that one? Oh, God. Where they were like um, gladiator. They weren't gladiators. They were like, they were Roman soldiers, right? The Eagle? The Eagle. Yes. Yes, exactly. That. 
Um, where like that King's didn't Beach have does huge... it, so like we assume that the imitation game will do it mm-hmm. because they're both British and it's about World War Two. Right, 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 right. Imitation d- game did better than Bobby, obviously. It's but sure, it certainly did. Although Bobby, another example. Bobby does so much better than you would expect it to. I was then you would remember it too. I yeah. did not remember getting a Golden Globe nomination for Best Picture. I remember the SAG Ensemble nomination because that was like. One of the I always felt it like was the was award a... that was always going to happen for this movie because there is really I think it's Sharon Stone, but like even that's fairly understated. There's no standout performance nope. for this movie, which kind of the movie kind of really needs yes. to like coast it to that next level yes. as an Oscar contender. Um, so it ended up being essentially the whole cast, but like this is our fiftieth episode, and it has like fifty headline cast members. So it's like it's one of those things where it's like everyone in Hollywood was in this movie. Did they all just vote for it on their SAG ballot, and that's how it got in? It's interesting because you're right in that like oh, it's the classic giant cast of a movie, but like those movies that get nominated for sag ensemble with those like conspicuously huge casts also tend to be movies that have a little bit of awardsiness to them right where like you look at like Mm -hmm. grand budapest hotel that was a um that ended up being an oscar nominee for best picture you look at even like the butler i guess maybe the butler is the closest thing we can compare um bobby bobby too because I, I, there's there's the same degree of like historical pageantry, this very like shallow historical pageantry where like all those people played all those presidents. Remember like Alan Rickman, yeah. and Reagan, or whatnot, and how ridiculous all those things were. But like, and that I think contributed to it sort of padded the stats of the cast and contributed to it being a a SAG success. But like that movie at least had buzz for. Forrest Whitaker and Oprah individually. Whereas I feel like Bobby seemed for, in a lot of ways, like to be only in it for this SAG nomination for best ensemble. But like, which let's read off these nominees too, because this is fairly best picture, like heavyweights, or at least was at the time. Cause you have the winner, little miss sunshine, which is a good decision. I think in, in that category, I think that's the right call. I think that's I mean, a really like, good cast. I, I think I, I like a lot of people in that cast. I would personally give it to The Departed that yeah. was also nominated of this lineup. There was also Babel. Um, sorry, I like The Departed. Get like over it. Um, and then the other one, which I love this movie, is Dreamgirls, which was Girls. like the presumed Best Picture nominee until it literally wasn't nominated. Yeah, it was. It was the front runner. For the Oscar, up until Oscar nomination morning, when it did not get the Best Picture nomination, I think I think you would be within your rights to go for Dreamgirls. There, I just feel like I think Little Miss Sunshine is my my ideal SAG ensemble. Is you get a couple people who may be getting individual attention, but like a lot more who are giving great performances who are not getting recognized in other places, and I feel like that's where I wanted. I wanted recognition for Tony Collette and Steve Carell and Greg Kinnear and Paul Dano in this movie. And I wish it had been like, I wish it had extended itself out to other members of that cast. Cause I feel like that cast is actually really 
it's really deep in people who give like one scene performances, like the woman who, um, oh god, she was just on Barry recently. Let me look up her name. Who is trying to like release Alan Arkin's body to the family? Do you remember that scene? I don't know how well you remember Little Miss Sunshine. I haven't seen it in a very long time. I'm only half in on that movie uh, that I think is fine. I really genuinely kind of love that movie. And I know people found it to be, I guess, treacly at parts or whatever. But I think I think so much of it works. Um, Beth Grant shows up later in that movie. Mary Lynn Ricegub, uh shows up in that movie. I can't remember what this woman's name is now. And it's too bad because, oh, Paula Newsom. Paula Newsom, who is a... Really good character actor. If you look her up, you'll recognize her from, I'm sure, some television show or another. But she was just recently on Barry. Um, I don't know. It's that kind of a movie that I love for recognition for SAG, even when those SAG rules limit the number of sort of character parts that will get part of the nomination, which is stupid. But, you know, alas... Alas. Alas, you're in on Dream Girls. I'm trying to look at this cast list that was actually nominated because the thing about the SAG cast list is, like, we want all ensemble nominees to look like the however many 20 to 30 names that Bobby had nominated because it's there's that stupid rule that you have to have your own title card to be nominated. So I'm trying to look at who in the Bobby cast was not nominated for this oh, award and yeah. it's really hard to track. No, they go deep. They that cast Two. goes goes pretty well deep. While you do that, I want to talk about the Golden Globe nomination that Bobby gets, which I think is far crazier even though it's easier to get a crazy Golden Globe nomination because you're only dealing with a you're dealing with a much smaller, you know, awards body and they are yeah. they do often throw you those curveballs. It's jo- just not normally in best drama film because the that that field usually is more stacked with major contenders that are really sort of like being pushed hard and it's it's more rare to see a crazy nomination show up in there but that this was so mm-hmm. this was the awards for 2006 the Globes had some interesting nominees in general that year. That was a year that, like, Sasha Baron Cohen wins for Borat and Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy, which, like, I don't love, but, like, I guess more power to the Globes for doing their own thing. You know, I love it when an awards group does their own thing. That was the year they nominated Ben Affleck for Hollywoodland and Supporting Actor. They nominated Maggie Gyllenhaal for Sherry Baby and Best Actress in a Drama, which I think is actually kind of cool. They nominated... Huh. Oh, this was, of course, we've mentioned this uh, before when we were talking about Emily Blunt. This was the year they nominated Emily Blunt for The Devil Wears Prada. That didn't actually go anywhere. And, of course, the most important nomination of this year at the Globes, they nominated Renee Zellweger for playing Beatrix Potter in the memorable 2006 film Miss Potter. So, there. Movie we have to talk about. We do really have to talk about Miss Potter at some point. I have never seen it. I have not either. <laughs> we should just do a live podcast of us watching Miss Potter. Like us like watching <laughs> it individually and just sort of like chiming in because that would be wild. Commentary track. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, Bobby was nominated for Best Motion Picture Drama alongside future Best Picture Oscar nominees Babel and The Departed and The Queen and also Little Children, the Todd Field movie, which I think is actually a really Genius. great nomination. 
and wish that had been replicated elsewhere. Um, did it also get a screenplay nomination? It very well may have. It did. At the Oscars, it did. Uh, but also at the Globes. So the Globes nominated little children like three times, which is a lot for the Globes. The Globes usually, the nomination leader at the Globes is usually like seven or eight nominations or whatever. This year it was Babel with seven, which ultimately did win Best Picture Drama. This was also the year where every movie nominated at the Oscars except for Letters from Iwo Jima. And then Letters from Iwo Jima was like, but it's the Eastwood movie, so you never know. But, like, Babel had won the Globe, and Little Miss Sunshine had won the SAG, and, like, all the different, like, precursors had gone to different movies. I can't remember. Producers Guild, did that go to The Departed? That's a good question. Hold on. Give me, like, half a second to, like, line these up. I'm pretty sure it did, because that was part of, like, this spread you're describing. And then... Scorsese, I think, also won the Director's Guild. Producer's Guild actually went to Little Miss Sunshine, but I would bet dollars to donuts that Scorsese won the Director's Guild. He did win the Director's Guild. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So, yeah, I think... And then the Queen might have won BAFTA? This is going to prove to be the year that I can't remember. <laughs> but that's why it's such a weird year. Best film was The Queen, yeah. Best one was The Queen beating out Babel, The Departed, Little Miss Sunshine, and, because it's Britain, um, The Last King of Scotland, directed by uh, Kevin MacDonald. But that's an interesting, it was a very interesting spread, I will say. That was what made 2006 so fun, is that, like, going into, I think we look at it now that Scorsese won and The Departed won, and in retrospect, we sort of graft on a kind of inevitable... Um, march to victory for Scorsese because it makes so much sense in retrospect. Of course, Scorsese finally gets it for going back to basics for this, you know, sort of organized crime story that brought him back to the Scorsese we knew and loved from Goodfellas away from, you know, the aviator and things where maybe his audience wasn't so plugged into what he was doing. And so it all makes sense that this would be the movie where Scorsese finally gets it. But like going into Oscar even Oscar Day, I remember that like it was still very much. A lot like, of people thought Babel it, it took could a while do it. For a lot of people happen. thought Little Miss Sunshine could do it, and you know the fact that the Queen had won BAFTA wasn't anything. I think a lot of people assumed that it was it won because it was so British and so sort of plugged into. Yeah, but like you couldn't discount that either, and certainly it was going to pull some votes. And it was either going to be a very close race or it was not. And I think I would love to see the vote that totals. departed. Yeah. Love to see the vote totals. Would love to see who finished second and how closely. And whether Letters from Iwo Jima being, again, because Clint Eastwood was like the great Oscar wildcard at that point. Oscar wildcard. That's funny. Um, <laughs> Clint Eastwood was not Oscar Wilde. Because anymore. Flags of Our Fathers was his big play in 2006. And a lot of people, because this was coming after, only two years after Million Dollar Baby kind of spoiled the party for Scorsese mm-hmm. with The Aviator. And so all of a sudden, people had just... Everybody was primed for it to happen again. Had just started to allow themselves to believe that Departed could happen. And then all of a sudden, because they were like, well, Flags of Our Fathers flopped, so Eastwood's not going to do it. And then I, it's like it's like the monster... Letters from Iwo Jima was very, very late. Yeah. Like, I don't think it was originally even planned to be no. the same year as Flags of Our Fathers. And then it was I think legitimately it, like Jason yeah. Voorhees step, like rising from out of the grave and like crawling his way out <laughs> and just being like, not dead yet, bitch. And I say that as somebody who I really think Letters from Iwo Jima is a very good movie. I haven't seen it since 
2006, but I remember watching it at the time and being like, I think this is a very much better than Flags of Our Fathers, which I think is hokey and bad and and unmemorable. But I think a lot of people sort of saw Eastwood crawling his way back into the Oscar race, that surprise nomination on nomination morning, and being like, oh God, it's happening again. <laughs> and ultimately, um, Letters from Iwo Jima doesn't really get anything beyond like i think that was its apex right like nomination morning it gets the best picture nomination and then it never really went further but i really do feel like the vote totals of that best picture year were really really spread out and ultimately i would also like to see how close bobby came to to being nominated and if, and if we've talked a top about 10 this year would bobby have made it um here's the thing i like in a vacuum, like I don't see Bobby as only having a Best Picture nomination, but I think again this is another movie where we've talked about if you're talking about if the race was always going to be ten nominees, could it have gotten a nomination somewhere? Right? Else? Would it have because it's instantly taken more seriously as a Best Picture contender? So what's ahead of it in the top ten? Dreamgirls, almost certainly, right? Because it almost certainly it even without the picture and director nominations got a ton of nominations. It got... Mm, I'm trying to remember now. Like seven? Yeah. Or eight? That seems about right. Because it's... It, I did think it at still the time lead it had the, the nominations? Or t- it did. I think it was tied for the for the record of most nominations without a Best without Picture, a best picture winner, winner at the time. Or without a Best Picture yeah. nomination? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, eight nominations, one ahead of Babel, which was seven. So I think... Pan's Labyrinth, which had six nominations. I think Pan's Labyrinth gets in on a top ten. Then you're looking at a movie like Blood Diamond, which had gotten five nominations, including acting nods for DiCaprio and Jaiman Hansu. So, like, that's a possibility. Um, And then, like, you go down the list of, like, most nominated movies. I don't think Notes on a Scandal gets it with its four nominations. I don't... Not in this... I mean, maybe... I'm wrong because, like, it could stand out further. But, like, I think this is a very male lineup, and it's a very male Oscar year that I don't think Notes on a Scandal would have gotten it. I almost feel like maybe Devil Wears Prada, which had, like, that kind of last-minute surge because people started taking it seriously, I think that would have more of a chance than Notes on a Scandal. I don't know. I remember at the time... That the Devil Wears... I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like an accident that the Devil Wears Prada's two nominations were actress and costume. I feel like it was definitely, like, slotted in as, you know, an exception to the rule. I don't think it was ever going to... I think you look at something like United 93, which only had two nominations, but one of them was the lone director nod for Paul Greengrass, so I think that may be... United 93, I think, is one of them, probably. And then you look at... It's probably wishful thinking, and I think if you had had the Oscars two months later than they were children of men maybe gets in there. But Mm -hmm. I think even at the time it was just being undervalued left and right in, in some really sort of frustrating ways, but they never really mobilized the campaign for that. And it was so like quiet, especially disproportionately to what that movie is doing. It had had gotten pushed from, I want to say October to Christmas, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it was originally supposed like to... Like New Year's Eve. And it had gotten pushed fairly late, because I remember the trailer. I think when we first got the trailer, I think it was still set for October. I could be I'm, wrong. 
I'm maybe curious for like maybe the tenth slot possibly being Volver. That's an which idea. It didn't it didn't make one of like it got one of cut off from one of the early rounds of foreign voting, right? Yes. Or I don't but think... it got the nomination for Penelope Cruz. Or it wasn't it was the... always in contention for screenplay, and it just didn't get the nomination. The other one that I might throw in as a flyer, and you would have to like <laughs> throw out all of the all of the everything that we know about Oscar campaigning, and like it would have been a first. So it's tough to like <laughs> throw in your hypothetical as being a first of its kind to ever happen. But I wonder if if this was a top ten year, you could have gotten an inconvenient truth in there. Oh, uh, I thought you were about to say Borat. No, although that's an interesting one too, but I feel like An Inconvenient Truth for being a documentary was much more a star vehicle, and that star at the time was Al Gore, and I think politically, where we were politically at that moment, I think you would not have taken a lot to have gotten I just a... really doubt we're ever going to have a Best Picture documentary nomination. I agree with you, but I think if we were it would be that kind of thing. It would be the kind of thing where sure. it would be a a personality pulling it over the finish line. And I think that's probably as close as we could have gotten in the last, like, 15 years or so. But that's that's my hypothetical that, you know, I'll throw that out there. We'll see. We'll see. So as there's if, not like, I can enter that mirror universe and find out. <laughs> There's not a lot of entry points for Bobby to have maybe gotten a nomination. I think it's a little surprising that they didn't get the song nomination for the Aretha Franklin song that yeah. plays over the credits. Uh, considering this is also the year that, like, famously they changed the song rule category, the song category rules, because Dreamgirls got three, which I think it should have all of those three nominations, personally. Patience? Um, really? Yes! Uh, okay. That sequence is great. Fine. Fine. Um, and it also got Anika Nani Rose on the Oscar stage. Yeah, and I do love Anika Nani Rose. That is true. Um, I like, I love Listen. I think Listen should have won that year. I love Melissa Etheridge as a person, and I love that Melissa Etheridge has an Oscar. That's very cool. Um, but that song sucks. It's not a good song. It's not a good song by Melissa's. And then it's also standard. a nomination for Cars. Well, that's the thing. I don't nominate Cars. I would. I would lop off both Patience and Cars. And yeah, I think that's that's probably where Bobby's best chances were that year. Two thousand six were weird, man. Those were some weird. Strange. This is one of my least favorite Oscar years, I will say. I like it. It's certainly one of my least favorite best picture lineups of my lifetime. Not in that I hate the movie. It's just like, when you look at that block of five, it's like, ugh. Yeah, I think I'm so middling on both The Queen and Babel. And my respect for Letters from Iwo Jima at this point feels almost theoretical because I remember so little of it except for the fact that right. I liked it. And I'm such a downer on The Departed that really it's just Little Miss Sunshine for me. And, but like, this was also the year of like the Black Dahlia got that weird cinematography nomination after being like kind of panned and, you know, sort of thrown out. This was the year that Click got a nomination for Best Makeup. This was the year that. Oh my God, this is why we can't do The Good Shepherd, which would be a great This Had Oscar Buzz thing, because The Good Shepherd was one it of those. It got a production movies, design nomination? It got a production design nomination, even though it had yeah. been one of those year ahead frontrunners, looked great on paper, and it flopped like crazy, and yet it still sort of like 
grabbed that one little nomination. This is again like the kind of nomination that like Bobby, if like there were as a little more attention to detail, like it could have gotten one of those like craft categories. Listen, look at all these movies that got one nomination that otherwise we could talk about it on this head Oscar buzz. Apocalypto gets, I want to say three, three nominations that are in like makeup and sound or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's not even just one nomination, but like we could talk about Flags of Our Fathers, except it got two sound nominations. We could talk about The Good German, but it got a score nomination for Thomas Newman. We could talk about um, The Illusionist. The Illusionist. The Illusionist is actually a really good movie. We could talk about The yeah, Prestige. I like we could talk about The Good Shepherd, as I said. We could talk about The Black Dahlia. But all of these movies get these like one or two little like rando nominations so which is why we'll end up doing a uh you know an exceptions miniseries eventually. at some point eventually but i just think it's can I we talk about wild. one category that i think like bobby again if there had been like a little bit more zhuzh there that it is a little disappointing they didn't get a nomination for this is the oscar year that they did the like full costume displays for the costume design nominees which the the winner was of course marie Antoinette. right um but like if bobby had been a costume design nominee uh, yes, it was both Emily Blunt and Anne Hathaway, right. and they talked to Meryl Streep in the audience. That's right. Hi, Meryl. I love, I love you. you. <laughs> Why doesn't she have her cappuccino? Did you get her cappuccino? I thought you were going to get it. Look how she's smiling as though it doesn't bother her. She's such a good actress. <laughs> We'll get, we'll get it for you after this. This year's nominated designers had to struggle with one singular problem. How to dress a queen. A diva. Or an empress. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Because Devil Wars Prada was also nominated. Yeah. Um, but had Bobby been nominated, we could have had the fabulous trio of Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who like has never looked better in, in a 60s costume yep. than anyone ever. Uh, Demi Moore doing her full lounge singer yes. routine. And Sharon Stone as a nail technician on the Oscar Hell, throw Lindsay out there if you could hold her together for the requisite time. Like, that would also be cool. Perhaps we should transition to Lindsay. Oh, yeah. I think our listeners want us to talk our about Our listeners Lindsay. want us to talk about Lindsay, and we do have an in in that she was one of, she was a winner for this movie, technically. She got the Hollywood Film Award for, I don't even know what Breakthrough the Breakthrough Actress. Was. What's that? Breakthrough Actress? Which, like, okay, the Hollywood Film Awards have never been, like, taken... Ever since, like, I knew they existed, journalists were always saying, these awards are bought. They happen, like, at the end of the summer. Yeah. So before most of before the movies that they award have even been movies. seen. Yeah, I can call. Yeah. It was like, didn't they give one... I could be totally wrong on this, so cut it out if I'm wrong. But I remember them giving it to Amy Adams for Arrival before there was even a frigging trailer for the movie. Wow. That's I could be wrong. But, like, it's that type of thing. Like, these movies are not seen. They're essentially bought by publicists. Yeah. But, like... This is a very... This is... This is the era where there was goodwill towards Lindsay Lohan that, like, she could be a serious actress if she gets it together. This was the... This was the... 
This was the battleground year, I feel like, because I think everything from Herbie fully loaded and after we are fully into problematic Lindsay mode. I feel like that was the movie where I can't remember whether she like acted up on the set of that, but I think she did. Um, although like if she didn't, whatever, allegedly, allegedly. Um, but at the very least, I just remember that was the point where the story on Lindsay started being, Oh, she's, you know, she's problematic. She's going out. She's doing bad behavior. That was Oh five by Oh seven. It's Georgia rule. And I know who killed me. So that's fully already like the dregs of Lindsay Lohan publicly. Like she's already like, she's definitely acting up on the set of Georgia rule. I know who killed, I know who killed me gets like fully panned. It's a disaster. It's a total disaster. And then 2006 is the sort of crucible in the middle where she does just my luck, which is not very well received, but she does a Prairie home companion, which I remember at the time people being like, That'll be good for her. It'll be, you know, Meryl's there playing her mom. She'll be a good influence Meryl famously called her one of the greatest actors that she's ever worked with. Yeah. Like, people were really investing a lot in the idea of A Prairie Home Companion as the kind of movie that would help set Lindsay right. That would be a good artistic experience for her and would sort of help her grow up a little bit and and sort of mature a little bit and she i think is really good in that movie she looks she looks like she's struggling like the actual like picture of her she looks very Mm -hmm. skinny she's blonde she's sort of like she's bedraggled in a way that her character in the movie doesn't really necessarily need to be so i always wonder like how much they just sort of let her show up on set and yeah and do but like she sings in that movie and she sounds really wonderful she sings with the whole cast at the end of that movie remember as they're like going into the credits Mm -hmm. and like i think that's really a wonderful little moment it's one of my favorite moments of her professional career is her in that movie and i think there was we'll eventually do that movie so we should save some of the talk for when i have plenty to say but she is she is legitimately wonderful in that movie and like was with all of the stories going on around her like the the backstage stories of that movie kind of ran counter to it. So it's like, you could definitely tell that there was an attempt by Lindsay Lohan to like make it count. And it just didn't stick around. And then, so she shows my mind in Bobby. I don't remember hearing anything tabloid wise about her on the set of Bobby. I think it was a fairly uneventful filming. In fairness, she was probably there for two days. Right. Very true. Um, And I think she does a good, I don't, I don't, I don't have anything to say one way or another about her performance in Bobby. I think it's very brief. I think she looks lovely. I think she sort of looks the part of a girl in that era, maybe better than other people in the movie. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. What did you think? What did you think of her in Bobby? I mean, I think she's good. I think the movie is very self-aware that it has Lindsay Lohan in that role in the way that it's kind of capturing her. Um, and trying to, like, present her very well. So, like, I kind of appreciated that because, like, I remember this era of, like, let's make it happen for Lindsay and let's get it together. Yeah. Um, we really were all rooting for her so severely. I, it was it, – it felt palpable that, like, so many – because it wasn't just people – I think you get – sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, it's okay. 
I think you get these days, pop stan Twitter has really sort of jaundiced me against fandom in general. I think when you get, I mean, even we're saying this today, the morning after Taylor Swift showed up at Stonewall and performed, and you get a lot of people, anytime anybody says anything negative about that, about her maybe exploiting, you know, gay fans for her next career move, you will get like descended upon by her fans. And so I find fandom in that way very toxic and very gross. But I remember with Lindsay, because she hadn't really she she had she's the type of person who gets the kind of fandom that pop stars tend to get, which is um it's very Britney esque. I think people sort of latch on to her because they have their early childhood memories of um, sort of actors and celebrities who they knew about. They, like, latch on to Lindsay with a lot of that. But I remember at the time it being a very sort of positive thing about, like, movie fans were really hoping. I think Mean Girls really, really had people hoping that, like, she had this really bright future ahead of her as an actress. Mm -hmm. And I think people were rooting for her more than scorning her. And that seemed to me to be unusual for that era and for that type of celebrity. If I'm, if you agree with me, if you think I'm correct. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I don't know. I mean, the thing about Mean Girls was like when it really got like actually assessed, it was so separate from Lindsay Lohan. Like all of the like jokes that got repeated, all of the things that like people talked about that they loved were so outside of her, even though the movie was essentially sold on the back of her celebrity and like Tina Fey's involvement. But like when you watch it now, I think there is a very like disproportionate difference between how good she is in that movie and how much of the narrative belongs to her in that movie because I think she is legitimately great and does exactly what that movie needs to be able to do like she needs to be like an every person that's also like a real teenage girl in a way that like is also a movie star it's hard to kind of put the words to what like she does and doesn't get credit for in that movie yeah but like I think she never really gets like her due for that movie. Well, and how she makes she pulls that movie off. It also doesn't help in that regard that after that movie, Rachel McAdams becomes a huge star, Lizzie Kaplan becomes a much bigger star, and Amanda Seyfried becomes a much bigger star. And so all of a sudden, it like it gives fans of Mean Girls a direction to go sort of onwards and upwards. And Lindsay and just, hers only goes. She just got left behind. Down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sad. Whenever things come up like her, when the slow evolution of her sudden accent, uh, or like this Lohan Hotel show, kidnapping like, children uh, my, in Greece or whatever the fuck that was. <laughs> yes. my mind always goes to the interview where Meryl is asked about her and she is effusive. And then it basically ends with her saying, I pray for Lindsay. I pray for Lindsay. I mean, that was so, that was all of us kind of at that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It is. Okay. Anything else we want to say about Bobby before we move into the IMDb game? Uh, I mean, it's hard to not hear Kathy Griffin's as Whitney Houston scream Bobby whenever, you know, thinking of this movie. I gotta track that down. I always think of also the uh, the broadcast news scene. Yes. Bobby, 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 Bobby. Like the- Dang, oh God! Lay it in, Bobby. Back out. They're gonna go up and the screen will be black and they're gonna 
we do a lot of movies that it's like you feel like there's certain things that are only 70% of where it needs to be to really like hit its stride with an Oscar voting audience. Yeah. And like it is kind of amazing to me how every single aspect of this movie down from its production values to the performances to the like details of its characters are all at that 70% where it's like they never get to home base again. Like it's never like it's not fully fleshed out. And maybe like this should have been like Nashville, a three hour movie to be able to do that. But like none of its themes even get all the way there. I really couldn't have. That's probably fair. But yeah, like it, it's like the poster child for that type of failed Oscar buzz. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I got to agree. It was, it was not good enough to. It's again, I'm so surprised it got the amount of success that it did. Like, I feel like that's one of those just like take the win, take your win, and go home. Like, it's you got a SAG yeah. nomination, you got a Globe nomination. You did way better than you should have. So, congratulations. <laughs> And I mean, like, as saying as someone who, because I hate this Oscar year, uh, I, even though I don't like this movie, I would rather take it than, like, half of those Best Picture nominees. Yeah. I would not go that far. I generally would not go that far. I think, yeah, no. Wow. Okay. All right. Yep. That's, that's Bobby. Do you want to do IMDb game? For the 50th time, why don't we do an IMDb game? Not the 50th time. It was not in some of our first episodes, but we will lie and say that it is. That's true. It took us a couple to get on our feet with it. All right. Anyway, would you like to explain to our dear listeners who are not readers what the IMDb game is? (laughs) The IMDb game is uh, we end our episodes by challenging each other to name the top four titles listed as known for on a famous actor or actress's IMDb page. We will always mention if there is television work or uh, voiceover work to like help push things along. Try to avoid Marvel and Harry Potter because those like you typically go straight to the top. Though we've had a lot of listeners lately being like, "These Harry Potter people don't have Harry Potter on their movie," so maybe we'll stray. Maybe um, we will. We get two wrong guesses. After that, we get hints in the form of years. If that doesn't move us along, it becomes kind of a free for all of hints. It sure does. And that is I the like IMDb that. game. Yes. Would you, Chris, like to guess first or give first? I think I'm going to give first. I'm in a giving spirit. I'm feeling, uh, you know, very, like, warm and gracious and giving on the 50th episode. So um, I have for you, for your IMDb game challenge, this is the year that Martin Scorsese finally won his Oscar. And since we're talking about Bobby, I went with, Martin Scorsese's favorite Bobby, that is Mr. Bobby De Niro. Joseph, for you. (laughs) Yes, Bobby Cannavale. You know the famous Martin Scorsese-Bobby Cannavale professional relationship. Yes. All right, Bobby D, Bobby De Niers, Bobby De Niro. Okay, so Godfather Part 2. No. Fuck. Straight out the gate. Raging Bull. Raging Bull. Okay, all right. One of his two Oscar wins. (sighs) Meet the parents. No. (laughs) (laughs) Two wrong guesses. All right. Give me the years. Your years are 1991, 1976, and 1973. 76 is Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver. What are the other two years? 
91 and 73. Uh-huh. 73 the year before um, Godfather Part Two, And 91? Yes. All right. De Niro in 91. It's Cape Fear. It is Cape Fear. Another Scorsese movie. All right. Which might help you figure out your 1973 film. Okay, is it Mean Streets? It is Mean Streets. I've never the streets seen Mean Streets. that are not nice to you. I've never seen Mean Streets, and I wasn't confident enough that he was in it, and I didn't want to guess it and be wrong and sound stupid in front of all our listeners. <laughs> so thank you for giving me that hint. That was where I was headed, but yeah. Yeah, Robert De Niro, all of his known for are Scorsese movies, which is, I guess, yeah. a hint at what the anticipation is and will be for The Irishman coming uh, this yeah. year. I was surprised that it wasn't uh, Meet the Parents, obviously, or Analyze This was the other one I was going to guess. His sort of better-loved comedies of the late period in his career. Do you think that Meet the Parents has kind of faded from the cultural consciousness, though? I do, but the fact that like I still feel like IMDb might be propping it up. Well, see, like when the um, the was it, it was the Polygon list this week. Oh, with the that came out with the quotes, and it had, I had nipples, Greg, yeah. can you milk me? I was like, oh, yeah, that's great. I haven't thought about Meet the Parents in four years. I feel like we are in a bubble that wouldn't, though. I think there are yeah, other bubbles fair, that that's do. Fair, that's I fair. think there are a lot of people who still sort of like quote that and make their little like Fokker jokes. Also kind of a surprise that his sort of Silver Linings playbook comeback didn't really stick. There is nothing in the modern era. It's Robert De Niro's newest movie is 1991 on IMDb. Yeah, yeah, that's really something. All right, so I am going to give to you. I my tendency is that I don't like to pick an actor from the movie we just talked about, <laughs> which be- this movie would be impossible well that's what i was gonna say so i feel like there was enough people in this movie that i could pick an actor from this cast and i don't pick from the movie that we talked about because i feel like oh we like in doing research for this may have clicked onto that person's page and seen it recently and then it's less fun um because even if we don't remember we've seen it there's like a you know yeah sense memory yes I had some confidence that we could do that with Bobby and not have too much of a worry. This is an actor we've mentioned earlier in this very episode uh, about his older movies. And so I wanted to see if you could get the known for for Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Boy, that's going to be tough. Is there any TV? Nope. Okay, so no Mr. Robot. No Mr. Robot, nor his like myriad failed first seasons for various uh, NBC series. <laughs> uh, Heathers. Yes, Heathers. 1988's Heathers. Fabulous. Um, I am fully not going to guess Untamed Heart. I'm not that crazy. Uh, br- trying to even remember was he in young guns he might have been in the second young guns hold on Mm, i am not about to guess young guns too um (laughs) sorry um boy uh, i'll just say it the wife are you trolling me no um Um, he's not in the wife he is in young guns too 
as Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh. But he's... Which I fully only know because of the poster. Like That's I have not seen the Young Guns movies. Yeah. Okay, so I have one wrong guess. Um hmm. I'm trying to think of it young christian oh um uh interview with a vampire would have guessed that but that is not on there so that's two strikes damn so your missing years are 1991 very popular year for us today on the imdb game 1993 and 1998 Hmm. so christian slater much like robert de niro does not exist past the 90s as far as the imdb game is concerned is 93 true romance it is Christian Slater, Patty Arquette, on the run, shooting folk, killing people. Killing we love people. Patty. We love Patty Arquette. Um, oh, ooh, ninety one. It's um, who does he even play in this movie? But it, the character's stupid. Um, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Um, he plays Will Scarlet, who is Robin Hood's secret brother. How dare you? It's such a weird plot line. We gotta do that. Maybe. I cannot wait to see that. Movie well, it's again. a song nominee. That, That's gonna I'm, have I'm to just, be an exception. I'm just gonna fucking watch it, Chris. I'm just gonna watch Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves again. <laughs> I watched a little Kevin bit Bacon's earlier. butt. Like Here's, this movie, we saw Shia LaBeouf's butt. Shia's LaBeouf. Kevin Costner's butt. Kevin Bacon's butt has nothing to do with Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. That's wild. Thanks. I, did I say Kevin Bacon? I meant you Kevin did. Costner. Um, I t- I peeked in on this movie recently a little bit. Um, Alan Rickman is fucking hilarious, and honestly, is he won the BAFTA? He's so good and intentionally funny in this movie, and I genuinely don't know what tone this movie is trying to set, but he's great. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, he's real good. All right, and then like his like dungeon lady is the fully most terrifying thing I've ever seen on film. Uh, yeah, Geraldine McEwen, who we mentioned yeah, when I mentioned the Yeah, slices open Sisters. her hand and stuff. Terrified me as a child. Yeah. Okay, uh, anyway, the last Christian Bale movie. I will tell you, again? it won't help you, but I will tell you, I hate this movie, and I kind of hate this movie's director. Do I hate this movie's director? I have, you, you, I don't think like this movie's director either. It is... A cast with a lot of names in it. What was the year again, though? Give me the year 98. So recently post-Titanic. Christian Slater. You hate this movie. It has a lot of people in it. I hate this movie. It's It's a director that we hate. It's a movie that sort of has a cult fandom, but was never, like, broadly popular. Is it that like killing a hooker movie? It's that killing What's a hooker called? movie. What's it called? What's it called? Very bad things. Very bad things. Yes. Absolutely not. Directed Who directed that movie? Peter Berg, written and directed uh. by Peter Berg, starring and it's like Christian Slater, John Favreau, Jeremy Piven, like poor Cameron Diaz I and didn't Triple need... have to be in this movie. I did not need another reason to not like Peter Berg. He made a killing a hooker movie. Yeah, that uh, people thought was hilarious. Oh, it's so dark. I love Ugh. it. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, bye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye, very bad things. All right. Well done, as always. You do reliably very well at the IMDb game, and you have... You did as well. ...for most of the 50 episodes that we have had so far. Chris... I think you are harder on yourself. You do quite well at this as well. We hope listeners have fun screaming at us trying to get these answers that we don't know. Yes. 
That's true. Do you have any... We've wrapped up Bobby. Do you have any episode 50 wrap-ups you would like to say? I would like to say to our listeners, thank you for listening and supporting us. We This has been a lot of fun. We hope you guys have fun listening to us. And we're going to have some good episodes in the future that we We've got for. some really good stuff ahead. Now that Chris has taken up all the opportunity to kiss up to our listeners... I have nothing left for me, but that's fine. No, we I... are but shell of people, shells of people. <laughs> grateful for your ears. We genuinely, we do love, we love doing this. You know, because it gives us a chance to chat and be silly every week. But we love when you guys tell us that you're that you're enjoying what we're doing, and you know, we're gonna keep doing it. So that's fun. What if they said that? Like, and that's the end. We decided fifty <laughs> episodes and bye. No we're done. It died. These never. are all of the movies that had Oscar buzz that never got any. I always think of that. I'm just like, will we ever run out of them? And then I'm like, no, no, we won't. The sad, the sad thing is, we won't. Um, so, uh, however, yeah, because I think we do have some newer listeners. What episodes do you think you would recommend as like favorites that people could go back to listen to? Oh gosh, I always trout out cake as the answer as a favorite. I also think <laughs> you love that cake episode. <laughs> the cake episode is absolutely wonderful. I also really loved our Serena episode. Yes, that was a really good one. Serena's um, just an insane movie. So if you guys have no familiarity with Serena, like check out that just so you can hear us talk about what happens in that movie. I love our Anywhere But Here episode because that was one of the early ones where we kind of went off the rails, but in a really fun way. Um, I mean, any of the ones with our guests wouldn't, you know, we had Katie on to talk about the tourist or David on to talk about Alexander or any of our, we have a guest next week. We haven't had a guest for a while, but we have a guest next week. We have a guest next week. We'll still be peppering them in there sporadically. We love all of our guests. God, the Micho Black one where we had Bobby on to talk about Micho Black does stand out to me as what a perfect movie to talk about on this podcast like it was it fit everything we were doing so perfectly the fact that like we were obsessed with that car crash scene that scene of and Red then Red, it became a meme again like weeks later like fully not to do with us although i was kind of like hey we were there like we were on this tip <laughs> and like what the hell have us go viral um yeah i mean just all of our guests david sims and pamela ribbon and richard lawson and gavin mevius and Bo and Yang, Tara Ariano, Nate Jones. Oh, just thank you all. And God, I sound so Thank you all. Thank um, you. Oh, and we fun. also had Nick Davis and Nathaniel Rogers, our Nick TIFF Davison. housemates yes, last our year. TIFF, our if you TIFF want to go foursome. back and listen to us talk about TIFF last year. God, um, what chaos that was. Sorry. Yes, we ha- we, we've we had so much fun doing this in the past year. We plan on having more fun with you guys. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for supporting fun titles like Bobby. We will have more listeners' episodes yes. for you in Such a the fun, fun, laugh-a-minute riot of a movie that Bobby was. Emilio Estevez's Bobby. That... No pressure. You guys pick this one. Hopefully we fulfilled all yes, of your Yes, that's hopes true. And we hope we hope you got what you were looking for. There. Shove it in your face. Um, that is our episode. If you want more of this had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. We really hope you will. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. That is where you can tell us to talk about movies like Bobby and such. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff? 
I am on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. Also on Letterboxd under the same name. I have a This Had Oscar Buzz list there that has direct links to episodes and IMDb game stats. I also write regularly for The Film Experience. Yes, follow me everywhere. Follow you everywhere. I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. I am also on Letterboxd as Joe Reed. I promise one day I will go back to Letterboxd and start updating again. We'd like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with that Apple Podcast visibility. So fire off a quick rave review and then it's on to Chicago and let's win there. That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. the sea I sailed the ship of